The church, grab your Bibles. You're going to need them. And um, I had double duty this morning, giving the call to worship and announcements I needed to make up for last week. Because, you know, I, I took the Sunday off and worshiped like you. And as always, Brian does a fantastic job. And Paul up here does a great job. And so I, you know, I felt bad. I need to make up for a loss, you know. So, Brian, fantastic. Thank you for what you always do. Um, before you uh, open up your Bible, I do want to show this to all of you. Um, older generation, you know what this is, right? So let's help out the younger generation. The younger generation, this is called a photo album. Okay, it's an um, album, meaning a book that has pictures in it, photos. All right, I'm being a little sarcastic. And I, I cause seriously, the younger generation, you're all digital and you're like, oh, you put, why would you put pictures in there? This is where your pictures belong on your phone. Now, actually, we used to put them in here, then we could share them. And this is one that my mom put together. Um, and she gave us, as all of us kids graduated, um, not too sure about my first five siblings, but I know I got one. Um, then again, they would say, because I'm the favorite, but whatever. Anyway, in there, it has like my birth certificate. So here's proof. I was born in Elkhart, Indiana, that hospital, um, as well as I even got the little thing that was on my crib that said, on the day I was born, what time, 8.44 a.m., I was 9 pounds, 4 ounces, 21 and a half inches long. Yeah, that's what my mom said, too. Um, baby pictures, pictures of church, and I don't know, somebody's in Sunday school taking pictures, it looks like. 4-H, punt, pass, and kick. A lot of fun memories in here my mom put together. But you know what my mom did? She didn't put any of those other moments, bad moments in here. These are all good moments, right? Because none of us that has a photo album has bad moments. We've all got the good moments. The moments when mom says, look at the camera, smile, say cheese, right? We don't have moments in there like when I was sinning and making bad mistakes. Those aren't in here. And not the moment before mom got out the paddle or the whip and said, all right, bend over. Oh, wait, smile. No, she didn't do that either. This is the good moments are in here, right? Now, why am I sharing that with you? Because we have another book here called the Bible. You know, the amazing thing about the Bible is it's like a photo album of all the men and women in the Bible. But you know what? We don't just have the good stories in here. There's no pictures, sorry. We don't have the bad and good or just, I'm sorry, just the good. We have the bad and the good in here. Oh, yeah, we have those moments. It's like, God put that in there? Mm-hmm. So today, we're going to open up God's Word. And we're going to sort of look at His, not photo album, but His Word. And we're going to read some stories about, see, the men and women of the Bible who we have such awe and respect for. Right? You probably grew up like Esther. Daniel, David, Moses, you're like, oh, the things they did, right? Reverence and respect for them. And uh, they showed how they risked their lives for God. They did amazing feats, incredible faith, right? High standards and thoughts for these people. But you know what? There's also those moments in there that it's like, why did God put that in there? (laughs) That doesn't make them look very good, right? We know as we've been talking about how we're reading through these adventures in the Bible, that we said, Abraham, you know, we started with the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, we got to Noah, 
Then we got to Abraham. And in Abraham, we said he was the father of a nation, God's chosen people. From that family tree, we're going to discover Jesus Christ, Savior to this world. But it starts off, it seems like a repetition in the Old Testament. And I'm the God of Abraham, and I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. A couple scriptures. We've looked at these before. Exodus 3, 6. God's talking to Moses. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Elijah, as he was getting ready to pray, if you remember last week with Elijah, he said, O Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, today, you are God in Israel. I am your servant. We hear this repetition. That's who God was. He wasn't just God El Shaddai or El Elohim. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So we know that through this family, there's a promise, there's a covenant that's going to be made, and there's going to be many generations to come. We remember Genesis chapter 22, verses 17 and 18, where God told Abraham, I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. Through your descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. See, the promise of God to Abraham then begins to unfold as we read through the Bible. And to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But Isaac, wait, pause for a second. How many of you have a good story about Isaac from the Bible? If I would say, tell me a story about Isaac, what's your story? Uh, He was going to be sacrificed by his dad when he was a kid. Okay, give me one of his stories when he's an adult. Can you think of one? Like a really cool one. And usually that's where we pause, like, I, I'm not sure. I, probably because there isn't a lot. There's stuff in here on Isaac, but it isn't like any, like, Moses stories or David stories or Daniel stories. It's Isaac. As Abraham gets older, he's realizing, you know what, God, God said he's going to give me all these descendants, like the stars in the sky. But all I got is Isaac. That's like one star. How's this going to happen, God. He needs a wife, right? In your Bibles, Genesis chapter 24, if you can turn there. Genesis 24. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham's getting older. He wants to make sure this covenant comes through. So he's going to say, you know, let's get my son Isaac married. I got an idea. I'm going to send my servant back to my homeland. I don't want to marry anybody from around here. This isn't good. He needs to find somebody from my homeland to get married to. So instead of sending Isaac to the homeland, he sends a servant to find a wife, bring her back. Everybody following me on this? All right. Starting in verse 7, it says this. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He'll send his angel ahead of you. He's talking to his servant. He will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she's unwilling to come back with you, you are free from this oath of mine. But under no circumstances are you to take my son there. So here's the plan. He gives it to the servant. The servant says, okay, so I go find a wife. If she says no, then I just come back and we're all cool. Yes, okay. So eventually we know that Isaac is going to marry a young lady by the name of Rebecca. But it seems that when we look at chapter 24, we know more about Rebecca. And a search for his wife than we do Isaac. 
There's 67 verses in this chapter. It's a long chapter. And again, what do we know about Isaac? Not much. But we know how his wife was found. We know about other things in his life. It's like 67 verses, and all of a sudden you get to verse 62. Meanwhile, Isaac is... Da, da, da. It's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, Isaac's in this story. Right. Look at chapter 24, verse 12. Abraham's servant is going to search for a wife. He's going to pray a specific prayer. I want you to think about this, because a lot of us in here, hopefully all of us in here, pray, right? Yeah, okay, head nods. Yes, we pray. Good, okay. Verse 12. Oh Lord, God of my master, Abraham, he prayed. Please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master, Abraham. See, I am standing here beside the spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you've selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. So don't you love that prayer? It's sort of like this. God. I really believe that I need a car today. If I pull into Lupe's lot and Lupe walks out with a red tie on, I will know I am to get a car from him today. Now, most of you know Lupe doesn't wear a tie when he heads to work, right? So we would know that's answer prayer. So you follow me on this prayer? Okay. So God answers before the amen even occurs. So even before he's done praying, verse 15, it says this. Before he had finished praying... He saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. All right, well, what do, you, what do you know from here from verse 17? Here it comes. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. Verse 19. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water from your cam- for your camels too. And so they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough, ran back to the well to draw water for the camels. Genesis chapter 24, 18, 20. We're basically reading that Rebecca here, she was presumably a, a beautiful young woman. But she was beautiful on the inside too. Do not miss this. She offered water to the camels. Okay? Understand this means she's going to put down this jug, empty it out, multiple trips back and forth. That's hard work. That's showing care. That's showing love for a stranger. Selfless, right? This woman is beautiful on the inside too. All of a sudden, the servant is like, ding, ding, ding. Could this be the answered prayer? I mean, I prayed for this. This happened. I mean, did you see the prayer? Did you see what happened? It all lined up, right? Couldn't it be more obvious? Yet, look at verse 21. The servant watched her in silence, wondering, whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. Huh. I wonder if this is it. Are you kidding me? Did you not just pray A, B, C? And did you not just see A, B, and C take place? How many times, church, have we done this? We pray prayers. God, this is what I bring to you today. And later that day, maybe later that week, maybe a month later, that prayer is answered. And we're like, huh. I wonder if God answered my prayer. Did you did that not just happen? You prayed for this specifically and it happened, right? Yeah, I wonder if God answered it. I would say yes. I mean, seriously, Christians, why do we pray? 
I, I, I'm not looking for the answer like, well, because God's like a genie, rub the bottle and he answers our prayers, or he's like the vending machine God where you punch the buttons and he gives you what you want. Prayer is to align us with God, right? To talk to God, to share with him. And sometimes when we give him our request, sometimes he says, yep, I'm answering that one. And it's a blessing for him to do that to us, and it's a blessing for us to receive that. And when that happens, why are we surprised? <laughs> are we supposed to be people of faith? Well, I'm going to pray for this from God today. He answered, he did? Did you pray that? Well, I did, but I didn't think God would come through. Then why are you a person of faith, right? I get it, though. We all struggle with that. None of us want to get disappointed, right? If I pray this prayer and he doesn't come through, I don't know. As a person of faith, I encourage you, encourage you, pray. Pray. Line up with who God is. Talk to him. Sometimes he's going to say, yep, I'm answering right now. Sometimes I'm going to wait on answering. Sometimes it's a flat out no. But pray. Let's read on. Genesis 25, 21. Here's what's going to happen. They get married, Isaac and Rebekah. The promise is going to continue, right? Descendants, as many as the stars in the sky. But wait a minute, we got a problem here. No kids. Look at chapter 25, verse 21. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer. Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in the womb. So she went to the Lord and asked about it. Why is this happening to me, Lord? And the Lord said, the sons in your womb will become two nations. One will be called Buckeye. The other will be called Wolverine. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, wrong translation here. Uh, from the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. Well, maybe I am right. One nation will be stronger than the other, and the, other, the older will serve the younger. So right from the very beginning, it's like Isaac and Rebecca, they're, they're married, we're going to have kids, but we can't have kids. How is God's promise going to come through? And God says, trust me. Keep praying. Answered prayer. We're going to have kids. We're going to have twins. Yes, but Rebecca feels the struggle inside. And God says, that's because the brothers are not going to be nice to each other. They're going to be rivals. There's going to be some trickery, some deceit, and the nations will be divided, right? Well, we continue to read and discover that Isaac is also like his father in another way. Because here's what we've learned so far. Both have been given his covenant. Both have dealt with trying to find a wife. Uh, both have been, I'm sorry, trying to have kids, right? Oh, but there's another way that they're similar, like father, like son. Turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26, 1 to 11, you have this in, uh, story that sounds very familiar with Abraham. It says a severe famine struck the land, as happened before in Abraham's time. Yep. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. Verse 2. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Don't go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give you all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Verse 4, I will cause your descendants to what? Become as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands. Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'll do this because Abraham listened to me, obeyed my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So God shows him this covenant promise again. Hey, I showed it to Abraham. Your descendants will be as like the number of the stars in the sky. Hey, Isaac, your descendants will be as the number of the stars in the sky. 
Just like I told Abraham. Wow. Verse 7. However, when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebecca, he said, uh, she's my sister. He was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought they'll kill me to get her because she's so beautiful. Verse 8. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window. He saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and continued, She is obviously your wife, and yet you told me she's your sister. Well, because I was afraid someone would kill me and get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you do this to us? Now listen very carefully. This is a pagan god. This is not a man of God here, okay? And he is saying, wait. How can you do this? You worship this God, right? She is your wife. How could you do this? One of my people might have easily taken your wife, slept with her, and would have made us guilty of a great sin. This is a godless man talking to a God-fearing man. Hmm. Then Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. You know what the amazing thing is? Abraham did the very same thing. His dad did the very same thing. Now Isaac is doing the very same thing. And what amazed me is this king is like, what are you guys doing? You're supposed to be God's people. And yet you won't admit this is your wife? You're more worried about yourself than your wife? Step up, man. You know, when I read that today, I would say the same thing. Men, we need to protect our wives. Never be ashamed of your wife. Never be ashamed so much that you're like, well, I don't know if I should. No, no, no. This is my wife. Are we so wrapped up in our sports, our time, our busyness that we forget the one that God's given to us to protect and love? Are we so wrapped up maybe in wanting to look at other women or look at porn that we forget the beauty that God has given us right before us? Are we so wrapped up in ourselves that we forget this is the woman God has given me? Men, I encourage you. I encourage you, protect your wives. Even godless people know that taking another man's wife is wrong. Point of truth we must all learn, right? Okay, I got sidetracked, a little fired up. Okay, seriously, when you look at the life of Isaac here and what's going on, God blesses him now with a wife, with kids. But he is still sharing similar struggles that his dad had, like father, like son. It's almost like you pick up the photo album of Abraham, and you're like, oh, yeah. Then you pick up the photo of uh, the photo album of Isaac, and you're like, well, it's sort of the same, same place. Hey, you're wearing the same shirt you're dad wore his senior year when he got his picture taken, right? It's like a lot of similarities going on here, right? Genesis 27 goes on to tell more about the story because here's what happens. We learn more about the children of Isaac, Jacob and Esau, they're twins. Jacob bribes Esau into this birthright and then tricked Isaac when receiving the blessing. Genesis 27 tells the story then of Jacob tricking Isaac to get a blessing. There's a lot of trickery going on in his family, isn't it? Then there, there, this causes a problem, obviously. So Jacob's going to leave the land, go try to find a wife, sort of like his dad. Only dad stayed home, servant went. This time, Jacob's going. And if Jacob is supposed to really continue this whole lineage, because remember, do you remember? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So if he's supposed to continue this, when, when does all this take place? Turn to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 28. Jacob has left his family. He's in search of a wife. He's on his travel. And he stops at a sort of set camp and gets some rest. Chapter 28, starting in verse 11. 
It says at sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp. He stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone, great pillow, right, to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw angels of God going up and down the stairway. Listen to what happens next, verse 13. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. He said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are on, line belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be what? As numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I'll bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I promised. Sound familiar? Sounds like a promise that was given to who? Abraham? Sounds like a promise that was given to Isaac? Or now the promise is given to Jacob. Now it's given to Jacob. And Jacob, understand this, he hasn't really established that relationship with God yet. Now he has. He's had that God moment where he sees what's going on. Listen, just because your grandfather or grandmother went to church doesn't get you into heaven. Just because my grandfather, he was a pastor for 60 years, doesn't get me into heaven. Oh, my dad, I don't know if he ever missed church. Deacon, trustee, served all over the place in the church. That doesn't get me into heaven. Just because grandpa or dad, grandma or mom have faith doesn't mean we are what? Grandfather clawed in? Nope. We must have our own personal encounter and surrendering to the God of this universe. This is Jacob's moment right here. He's like, ah, now I get it. So it looks, hey, that's the good moment in the photo album, right? Oh, take a couple pictures of that, put it up there. Take a picture of the rock, that soft pillow you had. Yeah, put that on. That's where I had that encounter with God, right? But then he moves on to Padanaram. He sees this woman, her name is Rachel. Ooh, she's a shepherd. She's taking care of her dad's sheep. Distant family relationship. Jacob uh, and Laman get together. They're excited to see each other. Jacob works for Laban for a long time. And after about a month, Laban's like, you know, you've been working for me for a long time. I, I can't even pay you back. But name your price. He's like, how about one of your daughters? I'd like to marry one of your daughters. Well, which one? I've got a couple here. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 29, 16. Genesis 29, 16. Laban has two daughters. The older name was Leah. The younger was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, which Hebrew translation means she wasn't that pretty, but they were being very nice. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you seven years if you give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Laban agreed. He's like, yeah, work seven years for my daughter, Rachel. You got it. Oh, you know, ladies, isn't that awesome? He's like, if your husband were to say, I'll work seven years just so I can marry you. Like, wow. And then you're like, wait, that's a long engagement, right? Yeah. Well, now I want to change pace here for a second. It's the book here called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I, I want to read the same story to you from another book, okay? Not the Bible, but the book. 
this book is taken from the Bible, but uh, it's been given, I guess, a little liberty to maybe, you know, make it more modernized. I don't know. You be the judge of this. There were once two sisters. The younger sister was very beautiful. Her name was Rachel. But the older sister wasn't as beautiful at all. Some thought she was quite ugly. Her name was Leah. Yeah, can you believe that? Somebody put that in here for your kids to read. Okay. Rachel, but they're being honest. Okay. Rachel was the kind of girl who always got invited to parties and chosen for the team. I'm not sure what team it was, but anyway. Everyone loved her, and poor Leah. No one hardly noticed her. One day, the cousin Jacob came to stay, and he was one of Isaac's sons, and he was on the run, which we just read about, right? Jacob had stolen and cheated and made some enemies with Esau. Remember that part? The funny thing is, Jacob, of all people, was the one God gave a special promise to, and the same promise he had given his grandfather Abraham, which we just read about, the encounter with the stairway, right? He said, I'll rescue the world through your family. But then God chooses people we least expect, right? Jacob stayed a long time working for his uncle Laban. One day, Laban said, Jacob, I've decided to pay for your work. What do you want? A sudden thought struck him. How about one of your daughters? Yeah, he had his eye on her. Jacob looked at Rachel. And then, oh wait, he looked at Leah. Who would he choose? Well, of course he chose Rachel. I'll work seven years for free, Jacob said, if I can marry Rachel. So Jacob worked seven years. And at last, his wedding day arrived. But that night, Laban played a nasty trick on Jacob. Instead of sending Rachel to marry Jacob, he sent Leah into the tent. Now it says here, Now in those days, they didn't have electricity, so it was dark in the tent. And besides, women wore veils. That is why I will not wear a mask, because I don't want to kiss the wrong woman. Okay? <laughs> Just saying. That's my medical exemption right there. I love my wife. Okay. All right. So anyway, might have to cut that one out later. The next morning, Jacob woke up, and I love this picture, and screamed. That's, that's our poor Jacob right there. He screamed, and he, he ran. His new wife was laying beside him, but it wasn't Rachel. It was Leah. He jumped out of bed. Laban, he, he cried, you scoundrel. <clears throat> but Laban said, work for me another seven years and you can marry Rachel. So Jacob married, Jacob worked for Laban another seven years. And at last, Rachel became his wife. Well, Jacob had two wives, but of his two wives, Jacob loved Rachel the best. Now, that is in the Bible. Now, of course, there's a little liberty and some the whole electricity thing. I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Your wife comes in and anyway. Now listen to this part here, what the author says. This is Leah speaking. No one loves me. I'm too ugly. But God didn't think she was ugly. When he saw that Leah was not loved and that no one wanted her, God chose her to love her specifically, to give her a very important job. One day, God's going to rescue the whole world through Leah's family. Now, when Leah knew that God loved her in her heart, suddenly it didn't matter anymore whether her husband loved her the best or if she was the prettiest. Someone had chosen her. Someone did love her with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So when Leah had a baby boy, she called him Judah, which means 
this time I will praise the Lord. And that's just what she did. And you'll never guess what job God gave Leah. You see, when God looked at Leah, he saw a princess. And sure enough, that's exactly what she became. One of Leah's children's children's children would be a prince, the prince of heaven, God's son. If you read through the Bible into the New Testament, we read in a genealogy, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah from Leah, and his brothers, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, and you continue all the way down that lineage, you get to who? Jesus. Why did God include all that in Isaac's little family photo album? He could have very left out about the part where he lied about his wife. Could have left out the part about his son and Jacob and Esau and all the tricking back and forth and what Jacob did and, and then the whole working for my wife for 14 years and all this. He could have left some of that out. Made it look a little bit nicer. But God didn't leave any of it out, did he? I think it's important that we understand that. Because, see, here's the deal. If you're in here and you're an athlete, um, if, if you've ever been through any kind of competition, like, say, you play football, you know what goes on Saturday, don't you? You go to the game room or the film room and you watch the game and your coach points out what? All the mistakes, all the errors you made. And you're like, oh, yeah, I missed that block or I did this. Typically, that's what happens. Hey, we're going to watch film today. You're like, great, we're going to watch film today. And what I messed up, right? Maybe you have uh, have a piece of artwork. Maybe you've written a paper. You have to turn it in. Somebody's going to edit it or check for errors. And all of a sudden, you get your paper back or you get your, your project back, and somebody's like, you need to fix this. That doesn't look as good. Either one of those illustrations, any one of those examples, basically what's happening is somebody's looking at your life for errors and mistakes, and they're quick to point it out because that's sort of their job. Hey, I need to point this out to you. This is where you're lacking in your life. And that's what I sort of feel like sometimes when I pick up the Bible and it's like, hey, I'm looking at these people's lives and like, oh, there's the mistakes, there's the errors. Sort of what I pointed out to all of you today with the lives of these people, right? But I pointed that out and I wanted you to see that because here's the thing. God looked at these great men and women of the Bible and said, despite their flaws, despite their moments when I'm not going to put them in the photo album, I am going to include them in my word because I want you to know they were not perfect. They had mistakes in their lives. They had moments in their lives that nobody wants to talk about. They messed up. But here's the thing. God says, they messed up, but I never disqualified them. They were just slowed down in their faith journey. Oh, yeah, they made mistakes, but I will discipline them still and I will love them still. Yes, they need to be corrected, but I will redirect them as well. See, when it comes down to it, there's a lot of mishaps and sinful moments in this family tree that we're reading about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth. A lot of mishaps. Some of them, you know, it's like, God, do we really need to see the dirt on this family? Couldn't we just swept it under the carpet and made this a really nice, no, no, godly family moment? I think what's important to understand is God says, I want you to see the dirt on his family. Because I want you to show you that I am still a God of grace. Oh yeah, God is Elohim. He is God supreme. 
He's El Emeth. He's the God of truth. He is the God of grace. He is God El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is all these things and so much more. But I always want to come back to this. He is a God of grace. He looks at all these moments in these people's lives and says, despite the sin, despite the mishaps, despite the trickery and all this, I'm going to forgive you. If you would just surrender to me, admit to me, I will forgive you. I think it's amazing that God desires to have a relationship with us, his creation. From, from the very beginning, once sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, God put in motion a plan to rescue us from evil. The adventure that we're going to read about how God continues to show grace is going to outlast any Rocky sequel or any Lord of the Rings trilogy. It seems like another one, another one. Yeah, well, there's more stories of grace in God's word than any of those movies put together. And you think about this, it's like, well, what about our journey? What about our faith? Let me ask you this. Everybody pause for a second and focus on this right now. Your life, your moment. What mishap, what mistake, what problem have you recently experienced? What challenge have you recently gone through in which you sort of like, can God still use me? What is it? What moment is that? Do you still believe God has great plans for you in spite of maybe what just happened? I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of us have had moments in our lives when we feel like our lives have been derailed. When we're like, ah, how could God ever forgive this? But God is a God of grace. And as you read through these scriptures today, here's what I get. Man has fallen. We've all fallen. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of God's grace. And at some point in time, we have to admit it. We have to admit it. That God still loves us. That God still wants to help us. And all we need is that first admission. God, I need you. But then here's the next part. See, I think a lot of us got down that first part. God, I need you. And we've asked for forgiveness of our sins. But here's the next part. A daily dose of, you know what? I need to admit every day that I need God. And I need to admit that my brothers and sisters probably need God's help as well. And I want to show God's love to them. Because the truth is, or as Matthew West sings in this song, truth be told, I think a lot of us aren't straight up with each other. He's got a song that just came out, Matthew West. I'm going to put the lyrics up on the screen. The, cor- the verse, first verse goes like this. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask you how you're doing, you just smile and you tell them, never better. Line number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors. Truth be told, the truth is rarely told. Isn't that true? I mean, the truth be told, we rarely tell the truth. It happened this morning. We come in. Hey, how you doing? Great. Right? Right? And it's like, how you doing? Fine. Great. And well, truth be told, I didn't have a great week. Or this is going on in my life right now, truth be told. But none of us want to bear each other's down with our burdens. I don't want to sound like a whiner or a complainer. So I don't want to tell you. He goes on in his chorus to say this. I say I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine. But I'm not. I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say it's under control. But it's not. And you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it when being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no 
uh, no fall, there's no sin, you don't already know. So let the truth be told. So as Matthew West goes on his thing, he's like, you know what? How about we just all admit it? God already knows our failures. God already knows what we're struggling with. It's like we walk into this church and we walk through those doors. And it's like, I've got it all together. And God goes, no, you don't. So why did you just tell that person you did? Isn't it good to know that we have a God who says, bring those faults, bring those failures. I'm listening. And you know what? I've also equipped and empowered my people to be my ears and my hands and my feet. So you can share it with them too, because they will pray for you. And they will do the best they can to help you. Second verse is, there's a sign on the door that says, come as you are, but I doubt it. He's talking about the church. Because if we live like it was true, every Sunday morning pew would be crowded. But didn't you say the church should look more like a hospital, a safe place for the sick and the sinner and the scarred and the prodigals like me? We say we're fine, but we're not. Admit it, right? But as you admit it, as I admit it, let the truth be told. God is a God who helps us right where we're at. He will help you. He still loves you. I look around and I see the pains and the challenges of our church and people outside our church. We all know somebody in this room who is struggling physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. We all know it, but we won't admit it. So how will we grow if we don't pray for one another? Church, this is not a scolding from me to you. This is a... I got to get better at this. You got to get better at this. We are the people of God. We say we love God and we love others. Well, we come here and love God. Let's make sure we follow through with the love others as well. Kelly, you got surgery coming up to uh, Monday, tomorrow, right? Another surgery. You know, it's like one after another, and it's got to be so hard for you. I get that. Chelsea, your nephew, Braylon, went through a very serious moment this past week, right? That's scary. We've got Zach Pound. He was uh, a junior in high school who had a heart issue this week. Scared him. I look back at Crew. Crew, your lungs, you know, I'm glad you are back to playing football. But, man, your mom and dad, probably every time a collision on the football field, they probably tense up, right? Tracy Rupel, um, she's following up on more x-rays. She's most likely not going to have surgery, but 12 more weeks of crutching around on a couple broken bones in her leg. Can't drive, can't get around. Her husband's trying to coach a football team and her kids are everywhere. That's got to be challenging, right? Gloria Navarrete, her niece, she contacted me this week. Her niece was killed in a car accident in Idaho this past week. There's people in nursing homes and hospice right now. Gordon Hartzell, Betty May, and uh, Norma Baker. Christina contacted me this morning and said, Mom's in hospice and she's probably going to go home to be at the Lord today. They say today's probably the day. Eric Demolines had health concerns, and a lot of us didn't know or didn't know. It's a lot of us got, I could probably go on this list, and I don't want to leave anybody out, and I'm going to leave a bunch of people out, okay? Point is, we can look around this room. You don't have to turn very far until you see somebody that could use some prayer. Outside the church walls, it's, it's incredible the things that are going on. I was reading that Ohio University found that 37 out of Ohio's 88 counties have a suicide rate above the national, national average. Nearly five people die by suicide in the state of Ohio every day. There's, there's a mental depression that's going on, too, due to the, the virus and isolation and all these things that's going on. People are at a breaking point. So when we say we're fine, oh, I'm fine, we're probably not. And it's okay to admit it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
They admitted it. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Let's begin with acknowledging that we live in a broken world that's marred by sin. Just the way it is. And God's going to rescue us, and he's going to redeem us someday, church. Listen very carefully. You've got to hear this, okay? I just like, dumped like five minutes of like, ugh, on you, okay? So please listen to this. Someday, God is going to rescue and redeem this world, amen? Someday, we will exit this temporary place we call earth. This is a temporary home. This is our hotel for now. Someday we'll be in the presence of God, our eternal destination. Until then, let's admit we need God. Let's seek that peace with God, with him. Let's continue to be a church. And that just seeks God, but we're a church that seeks to love one another. How can I pray for you? How can I help you? What can I do for you today? And it may not be a lot. Maybe I can't drive you to your appointment. Maybe I can't pick up groceries for you. But I can at least get on my knees right now and pray. I can pray for you. We can show the love for others as we pray for them, as we lift them up. And let me tell you something. Never underestimate the power of prayer. That's the first thing we do. Sometimes we're like, well, at least I can pray for you. That's the greatest thing you can do for me is to pray for me. It's not the least. It's the greatest. It's the greatest. And I know our past isn't pretty like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am so thankful that their photo album does not look like this one because I can never live up to the Bible and what God wants me to do if everybody was perfect. They're not. They're not. The photo album shows the beginning of my life. It stops at my senior year. Nothing else is recorded. You know why? Because the journey's still going. Your journey's still going. So whatever happened yesterday or this morning, God can forgive. God can take whatever struggle you're dealing with and says, you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. Actually, today is still here. So let's rejoice today in the Lord, a God who redeems and rescues. Amen? Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, you are an awesome and mighty God, and I thank you, Lord, for your greatness. And God, I thank you that in spite of our marred and messed up lives, you are a redeemer and a rescuer. I thank you, Lord, for truth. So God, as we read the truth of your word, first thing I find is you are a God of grace. You forgive me right where I'm at. You pick me up and you help me move forward, just like you did with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God, none of us are done yet in this room. So God, let us live now a life that's been saved by grace. Let us live in a way that honors you. Let us live in a way that shows our love for you by loving others, Lord. Thank you, God, for this moment. I'm going to sing to you now. In thy name we pray. Amen.